Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey there, fellow travelers. Welcome to the Tolkien Road, episode 329. In this episode, we'll be continuing our journey through the fall of Numenor as we explore the foundation of Numenor in year 32 of the Second Age. Before we get started, I'd like to give a double up air five to our amazing fellowship. Hands up. Three, two, one. Nice. Special thanks to this episode's executive producers, John R., Caitlin of T with Tolkien, Jacob Lockham, John H., and Eru27. A shout out to our newest patron, Corey C. Corey, thank you very much for joining our fellowship. We truly appreciate it. I'd also like to give a shout out to those celebrating their fellowship anniversary in March of 2023 Jacob S., Peter B., Paul D., Stephen S., Jay Z., Bethany E., Daniel D., Caitlin of T with Tolkien. Thank you all so much for sticking with us over the last year. You can join the Fellowship of the Road by visiting patreon.com slash Tolkien Road. When you join the Fellowship of the Road, it helps us to keep on evering on and lands you some cool perks along the way, like 20% off our merch, including Tolkien Road t-shirts, the coveted Two Trees camper mug, and signed copies of my books. Learn more at patreon.com slash Tolkien Road. Hey YouTube, hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what's on your mind in the comments below. All right, so, year 32. Numenor becomes a reality in year 32 of the Second Age. In this section, we'll learn about the people who became Numenorians, the various figures that aided them in establishing Numenor, and how they came to Numenor in the first place. The sources for this section include Akalabath, the Peoples of Middle-Earth, Lord of the Rings Appendix A, the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, and Unfinished Tales. So, the foundation of Numenor. Well, this chapter starts off with a note by Brian Sibley, the editor of The Fall of Numenor. And I thought it would be helpful to look at this footnote, uh, because there's some, um, there, there's kind of a, an academic point when it comes to the year 32 versus the year 50 as being the founding year of Numenor. And this is what it says. So Tolkien had chronicled the foundation of Numenor as being dated in the year Second Age 50 um, in a draft for the Tale of Years. And this date was subsequently amended to Second Age 32, uh, but in preparing the Tale of Years for inclusion and return, return of the king, the year 32 is given as being the date when the Edain reached Numenor. So... Um, it's just to say that there seems to have been a little bit of a discrepancy, and we're also going to find out that the year 32 
um, versus uh, the year 50 could also just have something to do with the idea that, you know, this migration actually took place over a longer period of time, right? It wasn't just um, all in one year that the Numenorians came to uh, Numenor, but the first year was the year 32 of the Second Age. Um, now, who are the Valar? Who are the Valar? It calls the Valar the guardians of the world. So if you've been a, if you've been following the Tolkien Road for a long time, you have uh, probably listened to our episodes on the Silmarillion, so you've probably got a good idea of who the Valar the Valar actually are. But if you haven't, then uh, let's break the Valar down for you. Let's let's just kind of give you the high level view. It's actually a pretty simple idea. The Valar are the gods of Middle Earth. Okay, they are the powers of Middle Earth. They're these angelic beings. Now it's important to distinguish and say that in uh, in this legendarium, the Valar are not the supreme powers. There is a ultimate god, right? A a um, uh, the uncreated god, if you will, right? And that is Eru Iluvatar. Eru Iluvatar at the beginning of the Silmarillion in the uh, chapter called Ainulindale, the music of the Ainur, he creates the Valar. So the Valar are these uh, are these angelic figures that are gods that. Uh, are created at the very beginning of the legendarium. Um, the Valar then are enter into so, and and I should clarify, the Valar are a subset of the Ainur, who are kind of all of the gods, right? All of these created gods. The Valar are a subset of these gods that enter into the world of Arda, right? This world in order to rule it, to shape it, to guide its uh, continued creation. If you want to learn more about that then I suggest you read Ainulindale, read Valaquenta, both of which can be found in the Silmarillion. But you need, I, I would encourage you also to listen to the episodes that we've done on this podcast about Ainulindale and uh, Valaquenta, because that'll really help you understand what's going on with those, uh, with those particular stories and wrap your mind around who the Valar actually are. So uh, that's the Valar. And the Valar are those who are... Um, who are ruling uh, the world, right? Kind of overall. And uh, Morgoth, the evil figure who was kind of the main villain of the first age and who's now banished from the world in the second age, he was he was one of their kind, right? So he was this great, great god, though created, but a great god, very powerful figure. So that's a little background on the Valar for you. So let's talk about um, this first passage uh, where we learn about the fathers of men of the three faithful houses. Um, this term, Edain, what is, Ed, what is Edain? So the Edain reached Numenor. Well, Edain, it's pretty simple, actually. Edain simply means man. It's related to uh, another term, Atani, which is the, uh, the, the term for that the elves have for men when they first meet them, okay? Um, Edain is the, uh, you can kind of see the relation, Atani, Edain, right? There's kind of a, a they, they sound a little bit similar, all right? Edain would be the Sindarin term. The Sindarin language, there's two languages, kind of two main languages that you need to know about when it comes to the elves, Quenya and Sindarin. Quenya is the language that uh, that the the elves speak in the blessed realm. It's the uh, the highest of all elvish speech. Then you have Sindarin, and this is 
Uh, it's still a high form of speech, but it's more of the common form that the elves of the first age would speak in the realm of, uh, in, the, in the region of Beleriand. So the Edain are uh, the men who befriend the elves of Beleriand, and, uh, and specifically here, and they are, um, they are so named because that's the word for man in Sindarin, okay? So it's simply the Edain is just the Sindarin word for men. Um, now, Edain can, can be used to mean all men, but when we talk about the Edain, uh, typically in the Legendarium, we're, we're usually referring to a small group of men, and these are the men that aided the, that aided the elves of Beleriand in their struggle against Morgoth. Um, so who are these men? Well, they belong to three houses. These three houses are the houses of Beor, the house uh, of Haleth, and the house of Marak, which later becomes the house of Hador. Okay. Now, you can learn all about who those figures are, where those names come from, figures of these three houses. Again, if you read the Silmarillion, it's not super important that you know all the details of those houses if you want to understand the Second Age. But just understand that there were three houses of men that were friends of the elves, that were the elf friends uh, in the first age. And these are the peoples and their descendants, really their descendants, who are going to be rewarded with this land of Numenor in the second age. <clears throat> so we also see mention of this figure, Aonwe. Aonwe is also a god. But Aonwe is not a Valar. In fact, he is a uh, kind of the, the first servant of of the greatest of the Valar, Manwe. So Aonwe, it says, came among the came among them and taught them. So these three faithful houses, these three houses of men that were friends of the elves, Aonwe at the beginning of the second age comes among them and teaches them. It says they were given great wisdom and power and life more enduring than any others of mortal race have possessed. So just imagine, you know, for a second that this great, um, this great God, right, like comes among you and teaches you all kinds of things, right? Grants to you knowledge that, you know, you wouldn't otherwise have access to. Um, this is the kind of thing that was happening to these three, to the peoples of these three faithful houses. So they're given this great wisdom, power, and life. We're not given a lot of detail on exactly what those things uh, consisted of, but we can only imagine that they were given insights that most men didn't have. These pretty incredible insights um, of, of varying kinds that most men didn't have. Um, we also learn of this figure, Ase. Ase is also a vassal of one of the Valar. He is the vassal of Olmo, and he raises uh, Numenor out of the sea. So Olmo is the sea god, right? He is the sea Valar, and so Ase is uh, is one of is is one of his uh, chief vassals that works for him, and he is the one that raises this land out of the sea. Both Aonwe and Ase are Maiar. Okay, that's a lesser rank of Ainur. That's so that's a lesser rank of gods. We referred um, in in previous episodes in this series, we referred to a figure uh, named Melian, who was the mother of Luthien, uh, who also that that bloodline right that line of descent carries forward into the kings of Numenor. So Melian was a Maiar, right? She was a Maya who married uh, the king Thingol, right? The elf king Thingol. And so you had the marriage of an elf and of this uh, Maya, 
and uh, they come together. Their offspring is half elf, half Maya, and so that that strain of blood, right? That strain of uh, if if there is such a thing as Maya or blood, right? But that that strain of divinity, right? Uh, lowercase d divinity gets passed down into the line of the kings of Numenor. Um, Aonwe, Ase, they are both Maiar, okay, so they're lesser gods, but they're still gods. They're still very powerful creatures. Obviously, Ase is lifting a whole land up out of the sea. That's pretty, that, that takes some serious power there, takes some serious leverage. All right. Um, the uh, we also see mention of these figures Aule and Yavanna. So Aule and Yavanna are actually Valar. They are two of the Valar. Um, Aule is the uh, is the Valar who is uh, you can kind of think of him just just in one word. He's the Valar of the earth. So Manwe is the Valar of like kind of the skies. Olmo is the Valar of the seas. Aule is the Valar of the earth. Okay, of lands. Right. Um, a lot more to be, could be said about him and we, and we will talk about him more. You can learn a lot more about each of these figures by going to Valaquenta and reading about them. Um, Aule also, there's a lot to be said about him in, uh, in several other chapters in the Silmarillion as well. There's a chapter called of Aule and Yavanna where you can learn about the relationship of these two, which is really interesting because it seems they were supposed to be spouses. Okay. But didn't quite work out so well. Aule, for those of you who are interested, is also the father of dwarves. So, in fact, if you want to, it might be a good time to pause and just go read that chapter, Aule and Yavanna, of Aule and Yavanna. It's a really interesting chapter. It's not too long, and it's actually it's actually a little bit one of the easier chapters to understand initially if you're if you're coming to the Silmarillion for the first time, at least if you've got some knowledge of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Um, so we have Aule and Yavanna. They are uh, they are the ones who enrich this land, right? So Aule enriches it uh, in his own ways, and Yavanna is really like she's the queen of uh, of of like living creatures, right? That aren't that that obviously like you know unintelligent creatures, if you will. Okay, so uh, of of animals, plants, these kinds of things. All right, so Aule and Yavanna come together. They enrich this land uh, of Numenor in preparation for the coming of the Numenorians, of the first Numenorians. Um, so, the names of Numenor. There's several different names given for Numenor. Tolkien loved his names. He always gave several different names. We have Elena, which means starward. Anadune, and that's an important word because the language of the Numenorians will come to be called uh, Adunaic, right? Okay, Uh Anadune means westerness, uh, and then Numenor, Numenore, all right? And that becomes Numenor, okay? So any one of those names works for this land. And in the next episode, we're going to talk some about the geography of Numenor. Uh, Just a little side note on that. Um, You're going to find that the land of Numenor is actually star-shaped, okay? And this is, we'll, we'll talk about why this is significant later on. But starward, why, you know, so there's kind of a double meaning there, right? So they're they're traveling towards, you know, towards this land that's shaped like a star, but they're following a star to get there as well, okay? They're following this star of Eärendil, which is up in the sky. We'll come back to the journey in just a second. A couple more notes. The Dunedain, all right? So that's another term for these people. So we have the Adain initially, and then we have the Dunedain, and that's that becomes kind of the general name for the people of Numenor, this subset of men that travel to this uh, this island here in the middle of the ocean. 
the Dúnedain. Now, this is a term that you you might remember. Aragorn is referred to at different times in Lord of the Rings as Dúnedain. Okay, what does that mean? It literally means the uh, Westmen, men of the West. Okay, the Dúnedain. So Dún, West, Edain, men. Pretty simple idea. All right. Now, what else did the Numenorians receive? Okay, so we we see that they were kind of given these like sort of general gifts of wisdom, um, knowledge that others didn't have by Aonwe. Uh, but it also notes that they be, they were gifted with this long life. And this is very key. As much as five times the lifespan of mortal men, now, and, and, uh, and uh, most, most men of normal men. You know, so if you just kind of think like average lifespan of a man, we'll just say like 75 years, um, you know, what's that? times five. Well, gosh, that's, uh, that's 375 years. And some of them live even longer than that. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about one of them in just a moment. So they're granted this, you know, much longer lifespan. I mean, just think about that for a second. You know, your, your life expectancy right now, I don't know where you are in your life, but you know, you just kind of put round numbers on it, 75 years. Maybe some of you all come from some good genes are going to get 80, 85, 90, a little higher. You know, people are living longer these days in general. But to think about living 300 years, the, the idea that like when you're thinking you're getting to the end of your life right now, you're actually just in the first third of it. You're just finishing the first third of it or the first quarter of it even. Okay. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Imagine what that would do, change, how that would change your mind, change your psychology. You know, Tolkien doesn't have a lot to say about this, but we can kind of, we can kind of extrapolate from our own experience and understand like, wow, that would be incredible to just all of a sudden know that you're going to live much longer. And the indication is that it was like, it's not like they're going to live their elderly years for much longer, right? It's that they're, that if you, if this is the lifespan and, you know, you kind of, you kind of divide up into, you know, youth, uh, young adulthood, middle age, elderly, right? Kind of those four quadrants. Each of those quadrants is actually much longer, right? And actually has a much longer period. So somebody might hit 75 years and just be leaving youth. Now there's actually some more detail on that. And we'll, we'll cover that in later chapters. Uh, there were some, the, the book that was published a couple of years ago, the nature of middle earth actually showed that Tolkien had developed some really detailed thoughts on this as he is known to do, but we'll get to that in a later chapter. Uh, and it's really interesting stuff. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Um, it also says they grew wise and glorious and tall. So the Numenorians were very tall. Okay, they were they were much taller than normal men. 
Um, you know, we might have some tall people listening to this. I myself am five ten, um, and uh, you know, and and you know, I'm not I'm not a small guy. I'm not uh, I'm not short. Uh, you know, there's certainly people that are taller than me, um, but you know. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about probably an average height of about six three, six four, right? Um, you know, that's that's a good five inches, and that's that's kind of a, a head above me, right? Um, and that was like the average height of the Numenorians. You know, there are some indications that later figures, um, like Elendil, were much taller than that, right? So the Numenorians they were truly giants, right? They were taller than your average elf. Uh, they were big, big people. Okay, so that's another thing is they not not only were they given this long life, but they were given this stature, right? And and one would assume this greater strength as well. So greater in mind, uh, greater with with knowledge that just helps helps you to live a, a better life, taller, all of these things. Okay, um, so really interesting details there uh, as far from this passage and this passage that we've just kind of been parsing is from a Calabath. Um, so we move on from there, and the next passage is from the Peoples of Middle-Earth, which is the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 12. Um, and this talks a little bit about the journey, the actual journey that they undertook. Uh, and this is some really interesting stuff. I actually had not read this passage before getting into it here, so it's nice to have this. And this is one of the virtues, I think, of this book, even for people who are longtime Tolkien fans like me, is there's so many different things scattered in different places. It's nice to have all of the stuff about the Second Age of Numenor in one book right here. All right, so they were guided by the star of uh, Eärendil. I think I may have said the star of Elendil before, but they were guided by the star of Eärendil, right? So Eärendil is this uh, the 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 subject of the last chapter of the Silmarillion, chapter twenty four of the Silmarillion. It's a great story about kind of the last battle, last big battle, this really up, you know battle of upheaval of the first age. Um, it it literally changes the geography of the world. It's such a big battle. Um, so they're guided by the star. And why this why Eärendil is up in the sky as a star at this point? Well, you'll just have to read that chapter to understand better. Um, but they're guided by the star to a star-shaped island, as I mentioned before. Now, this journey actually took a number of years uh, because ships were small and the Edain were scattered. Okay, so... Um, you know, you kind of think about it like not all the Adine are going to be in one little place. And this is before mass transportation, quick transportation. So, you know, it probably took took time for the word to get out that, hey, if you want to make this journey over to this new land, then you have to get here. Uh, so this journey took place over a long period of time, um, probably about, uh, you know, probably 30, 40, 50 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um and it was uh, the ships were uh, were provided by Círdan, who is one of the main elves. He actually exists in Lord of the Rings. You might remember him as the uh, the master of the Grey Havens. He exists here at the beginning of the Second Age, and he is providing these ships that the Numenorians are going to be transported on. Uh, the ships are uh, are guided by elves. So the captains of these ships are elves. They're elvish ships. But uh, the peoples on the ships are the Numenorians, um, and with Elros's fleet, right? So Elros is the first, uh, the first king of Numenor. He's the one that leads this init- initial expedition of peoples of the Adine uh, to uh, to Numenor. There may have been, it says there may have been as many as three hundred ships with up to ten thousand souls aboard. Okay, and you know, you think about three hundred ships. Well, you're like, oh, that's only thirty people per ship if that's ten thousand souls. 
Well, there's probably a lot of other things they were taking with them as well, okay? Uh, maybe not a ton of stuff because maybe they were like, well, there's going to be a lot of stuff once you get there too, so you don't need to take everything you have with you. But I'm sure they took some things with them, so there was probably need. And, you know, you have to have stores and that kind of thing as well. Of course, they're dealing with Elvish craft, so who knows how many stores they have. Maybe they just, uh, maybe Limbus was all they really needed. Um, and this whole process of migration took about 50 years. All right, so uh, a couple more notes on this chapter. Um, this next section about the ban of the Valar, this is super important, okay? So what was the ban of the Valar? Well, the ban of the Valar basically said, hey, Numenorians, you can come to Numenor, but that's as far west as you can go. And you can't go any further because if you go further, then you're going to be getting too close to the Blessed Realm. And the Blessed Realm is for immortals only. Okay, you can learn a lot more about the Blessed Realm if you read uh, the Silmarillion, especially the earlier chapters of the Silmarillion. But the uh, the um, the Blessed Realm, this land of Valinor, was only for the uh, the immortal people. So the Valar, the Maiar, and the Elves. Okay, um, so they could they could come only so far. Now, you might think that seems a little cruel right? Why did the Valar have to treat him like that? Simply put, it was the will of Iluvatar. Okay, we talked about Iluvatar before. He is the overall god figure, the god who created everything, created all the Valar, the Ainur in the first place, the Valar, the Maiar. It was not the will of Iluvatar that the men of Numenor should come any further west than Numenor. He did not want them to step foot in the Blessed Realm, all right? And the Valar know that they cannot they, they can't violate what Iluvatar has laid down, right? That's his will. They may not completely understand it, but that's his will, and they go along with it, all right? So Iluvatar created men mortal uh, and the elves immortal, and he says, that's how I made it, and without my explicit permission, that's how it's, you know, without my explicit change to anything, that's how it's going to remain, okay? I have my reasons for doing that, and you'll understand them in time. Um, so... Compare this with their lifespan. Again, this this might seem cruel. Like you let them come this close and they can even like on a clear day, certain spots, see the light of the blessed realm or so they think. Why would they bring them this close but not let them go any further? You compare this with their lifespan, okay? They live this much longer period of time, but wouldn't that in a way like, you know, you think like, oh man, I, you know, if you woke up today and you're like, oh, I have 300 more years to live and I'll feel young again for a good part of that, right? Like, that would be amazing. You'd be like, wow, this is this is the greatest news ever, okay? But in a way, it also just gives you longer to realize, like, to anticipate your own death, right? So it can almost seem like, wait, isn't that a little cruel in a way, too? It's like you're going you're gonna to bring them a lot further. You're going to bring them within sight of just, like, unlimited happiness, unlimited life, unlimited happiness in the blessed realm, unlimited life with immortality, but you're not going to let them fully partake in it. Um, why do this? Why do this? And and this is, it, my intent here is not to answer this question because it's one of the key questions, the key themes of the legendarium, okay? Um, a quick thought. I mean, I believe it was so that the Numenorians could grow strong in order to help weaker men escape the remaining shadows and works of Morgoth. You see, I think, I think Iluvatar wanted these men to come to Numenor so that they could grow strong, build up this great civilization of men, and then go back 
to Middle Earth, go back to the place where all these other men remained and be like, hey, we can show you better things. We can teach you better things. We've learned. We built this great civilization. We can help you build up your own civilizations and become great and serve one another. I truly think that new, that the idea here was that Numenor was supposed to have kind of a missionary purpose eventually, um, but that they weren't supposed to be so focused on this world unto the very end. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that is uh, in later episodes as well, okay? That they actually had a purpose that goes beyond this world, all right? And how do we know that? Well, there's some clear indicators of how we know that. So I'm going to put to get, I'm going to put that question aside for now, but we're definitely going to come back to it over the course of this series. All right, and then last thing in this section, Elros Tarmenyator, okay? Tarmenyator, what is that name all about? So we, we've, we've met Elros already. Elros is the brother of Elrond, uh, Elrond and Elros are the are the twin sons of Eärendil and Elwing. They are half elven, both of them. They had a choice. They were given a choice to choose either to be part of the elvish people or to be part of the uh, to be part of the Adine, okay? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Elrond chose the Elvish, right? He chose to be immortal. Elros chose to be one of the Adine, right? So Elros is the one who leads this expedition, and um, he becomes N- N- Numenor's first king. Um, his name, this this other name, Tarmenyator, it's Quenya, right? So we talked about Quenya and Sundar in these two languages. It's Quenya for high first ruler, and it was the. This is important because it was the custom for kings of Numenor to take their name in Quenya. Um. We're going to find out later that this custom, and this is kind of a way of like saluting, right? Their their origin as being friends of the elves, right? And of and of their, uh, you know, the 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 kinship um, affiliation they have with Valinor, okay. Um, but we're going to find later, much later in the history of Numenor, that the kings start to abandon this custom and start to take their titles, their kingly titles, in the language of Numenor, and it almost becomes this mark of treachery to use the Quenya tongue at that point. So that's kind of late, much later on in the history of Numenor. So Elros is Numenor's first king. He is the brother of Elrond, uh, the son of Erendil and Elwing. He was looking at his father's star when he led his people to Numenor, and he lived to be 500 years old uh, and reigned for 410 years. So a 500-year-old individual, um, he lived a pretty long life. Certainly not immortal, but he lived a long life for sure. And, uh, and then we mentioned here the scepter as the chief mark of royalty all the way to the end, and Armanelos um, as being the city where he ruled from, okay? So more on that in the next episode. A um, couple of notes, the, the pencil decorations within this section are very nice. We have a pencil decoration of the island, kind of a, a, view, of, a view of the island from the sea, perhaps as they were first approaching it, uh, and is, is it maybe like freshly, you know, kind of raised out of the sea. Um, we also see this mark of heraldry. I, I believe this is uh, supposed to be uh, perhaps a, a mark of heraldry for the House of Elros, 
Uh, perhaps it's just the general her- heraldry of Numenor. Um, but we have this large bird in the center. Uh, it makes me think a little bit of, uh, you know, it, it's kind of supposed to harken back to uh, Eärendil and Elwing, uh, and you maybe understand that more if you go read that uh, particular story in chapter 24 of the Silmarillion. And then the last image, the last pencil sketch here is the throne room of Armanelos, um, and we see a couple of figures in that uh, that particular scene. So, so that's it for this episode. As far as uh, the details of this chapter go, a little correspondence coming here in just a moment. Next episode, we will look at the geography of Numenor, the next section of uh, in the book of the Fall of Numenor. All right. So a couple of notes from listeners. First off, we have uh, a note from a comment on YouTube from Jake back in August. I'm going back a little bit to August here. And this is in response. Both of these are in response to my episode 300, where I kind of reflected on 300 episodes and, you know, what uh, what I've learned along the way and, you know, what Tolkien uh, means to me after 300 episodes of doing this podcast. And uh, Jake left a comment on that episode on YouTube on August uh, 2nd of last year and said, Hey brother, I wish I could post this somewhere more public, but this podcast is an incredible act. I started at episode one and now I'm on 20 and counting. It's great banter and easy listening. It is inspiring and gives hope during the often doldrum work days. I'm a father of three small ones and I commend you and your wife for your excellent work. I will continue to share. Keep going. This is awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Jake. Thank you very much. Those are kind words. And, uh, I hope, hope you've continued to listen along the way. And, um, uh, and you're continuing to enjoy the podcast um, and for all it's worth. Uh, the next correspondence comes from a patron, Wordy. Uh, so this is also on August 2nd in response to episode 300. And uh, Wordy, let me pull this one up here. Wordy said, listening to your 300th episode now. Wow, has it really been 300 episodes? You guys are the best and I always enjoy listening to the podcast. Keep up the hard work. Well, thank you, Wordy. Thank you for your support. Thank you for financial support and for your um, your, your kind words. And uh, he, of course, wrote much more in this note. Um, a lot of lot of uh, good stuff here. Um, it's uh, you know it's it's been a long journey, and it's you know in some ways I feel like we're only getting started, and I'm looking forward to what the future will hold, um, and just continuing to see what comes out as far as you know. Hopefully, you know. Over time, we're going to get uh, better and better quality in terms of TV shows and that kind of thing. But at the very least, we've always got Tolkien's works, and there's so much to reflect on in there. Um, and I'm just happy to be a part of this community and um, and and hear from hear from all of y'all whenever you write us. Thank you very much, Wordy. All right, you too can be heard on the Tolkien Road. Drop us a line. You can correspond with us in a number of ways. YouTube TolkienRoad.com, TolkienRoadPodcast at gmail.com, Twitter at TolkienRoad. And you can also find us easily on Instagram and Facebook. We'll do our best to respond to you somehow and at some point. All right. Thank you to our amazing patrons, especially the following. John R., Caitlin of Tea with Tolkien, Jacob Lockham, John H., Eru27, Emilio P., Jonathan D., Mike M., Robert H., Paul D., Julia, Wordy, Joe Bagelman, Jacob S., Richard K., Matt R., Matthew W., Garrett P., Chris K., John W., Eugene D., Chris B, Daniel S, Seb M, Shana Supreme, Corey C, Ms Anonymous, Andrew T, Red Hawk, Shannon S, Brian O, Zeke F, James L, Chris L, Chuck F, Ozzy V, Ish of the Hammer, Teresa C, David of Pints with Jack, Eric B, and Johanna T. Thank you all so much for watching and or listening. We will talk at you next time. 
That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.